All right. Would y'all pray with me? Father, you are good to your people, and we are grateful. We're grateful, Lord, for, again, the opportunity to gather together and to study sacred history, the history of, uh, of our people, the people into whom we were grafted, um, the, the community of the redeemed from every time and every place that you've called to yourself. Lord, these stories are our stories, and we need to be mindful of them this morning. And so we pray that you would send your spirit, that you would give us humble hearts, Lord, lest we be like our fathers and forget where we've come from and forget our family history. Help us to know what our forefathers did and what they endured and how you met them at every step of the way. And would you use these things, Lord, to bring us encouragement and hope for the, for the days in which we live that we might be faithful and fruitful. We ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Okay, so you are in Genesis chapter 30, and there's the, the theme of this verse is what's called lex talionis. Lex talionis is a, um, is a Latin phrase that looks at retri- uh, justice that is retributive. It's what the scriptures call eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. Which needs some justification on our day, does it not? Because when you say, hey, I think, I think our, our, um, we ought to live in a, in a society that gives, uh, that gives lex talionis, that gives eye for an eye, that, that takes an eye for an eye or, or takes a tooth for a tooth or a life for a life. That sounds barbaric. So it needs some justification. It sounds barbaric and... It seems like a lot of people think that Jesus undid the, um, the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth in the Sermon on the Mount, which I don't believe he did. Um, so, so really, this idea of lex talionis, of, of inflicting on others what they try and inflict upon us, is just what the scriptures call justice. This is what, um, this is what needs to happen. So, so think about, we're in a text where... Jacob and Rebekah deceived Isaac, right? And I've kind of labored to show you that Laban's deception of Jacob is very different from Rebekah and, and Jacob's deception of Isaac. When Rebekah and Jacob deceived Isaac, what did he do? What was the result? What was the, the, the end of it? The end of it was he obeyed the Lord, that he honored God with his property. He gave it to the covenant son. So they weren't trying to harm him. They were trying to help him, much like Nathan and David. What happens when Laban deceives Jacob? He intends to rob him blind. So, so you see the difference? You've got, you've got, a, um, you've got justice there. So, so I want you to be mindful when Jacob, think about Esau. When Jacob uh, does what he does and he gets the blessing instead of Esau. Esau is furious. And what does he want? What does Esau want? Does he want Lex Talionis? Does he say, Jacob took all my stuff, and so I want to take all Jacob's stuff? No, he doesn't. He doesn't want Lex Talionis. He wants a head for property. You took my stuff. What am I going to do? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your life as soon as our father dies. So this idea, this is the way it is in all unjust societies, societies that the gospel has never had inroads in. You never see 
Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You see, you take my eye, I'm going to blind you outright. I'm going to take both of yours. You take one tooth, I'm going to take all your teeth. You take a head in my family, I'm going to take two of yours. And it's this, um, in, in pay, Justin always talks about what, what the guys will say when something happens in their tribe. They'll say, we have to kill them back. Right? Not get them back, but kill them back. We have to, we have to return at least as much and, and probably more. Okay? So we live in a society, and, and we see societies all over the earth, where uh, the idea of a lex talionis, of a balance, of just, um, of just justice, is strange to us. Strange to us. I know um, a man, he's a, he's a friend of mine, who um, admittedly had a sincere problem. He got, uh, he, got a t- he got ticketed for driving under the influence when he was um, in his late teens, he got ticketed again for driving drunk. Didn't kill anybody. Just got pulled over while driving. Got pulled over. So two tickets. He got pulled over a third time. And it was three strikes, you're out. This man spent nine years of his life in prison without harming anybody. He almost harmed some people. But the idea is you, you, when, he, when he was released, he was 33 years old. He had spent a third of his life in prison. If he leaves, lives to 90, he's going to spend 10% of his life in the pen without, uh, without having harmed anyone. He, it was dangerous and something should have been done. But surely that idea of taking a man's uh, life for a decade of his life and you put him in a hole and make him, uh, and make him a slave, it's not just. So this is a text where we're going to see Lex talionis, and it's not, it's not Jacob getting his just comeuppance. Rather, it's Laban getting his, okay? God is going to bless Jacob at every turn because Jacob has walked righteously in, uh, in, in the land of the tyrant with, uh, with Laban. And so what God is going to do is he's going to give Laban his just due, okay? So when you uh, look in, in verse uh, 25, and if you write in your Bible, you can just write, stand, that Jacob is going to take a stand. Keep, keep in mind, our history is running away from Esau because Esau wanted to kill him. Jacob lands in, um, in Laban's country and he, and he uh, covenants to work seven years, wage free. I'm going to work for you seven years like a slave and then I'll get your daughter, Rachel. Laban tricks him and gives him Leah, forces him to work another seven years. So Jacob has been working without any pay except for his wives. He's been given wives, but he hasn't been given any property or any wealth for 14 years. And he's done. He's going to take a stand. He's going to say, this has got to change. So in verse 25, the tyrannical situation that that Jacob has been experiencing with Laban, he's going to stand against it. He says, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Please understand when he says my own home and country, you need to see the eyes of faith there. Remember when Jacob was running and God met him at Bethel, what did God promise him? He said, look, north, south, east, and west. Everything you see is your ground. I'm gonna give it to you and to your offspring. Jacob has been away from that place for 14 years. And he says, I wanna go home to where God has promised to prosper me. It's not just, I want to go back to Muldoon where it's safe for me, where it's like my home. That's not it. It's, I want to go to the place that God has said, here is where I will bless you. And I've made a covenant. I want to go back to my own home 
And he calls it my own country, even though his dad is a sojourner. These are the eyes of faith. And so he says to Laban, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for you, uh, that I may go for, you know, the service that I have given you. End of sentence, right? So here's what Jacob does. He, he wants to go home. He knows he's got the measure of Laban. Laban's not going to send him with any sort of wealth, any sort of payment. So he just says, give me my wife, give me my children. I'm, I'm going home. Okay. And so he takes a stand against somebody who's been ripping him off for the last 14 years. And listen, this is, there's a, there's a huge, if we had time, I would go through tons of them, but Think about Moses standing up to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had been using the Israelites for 430 years. And and Moses stood up and he said, no more. We're done. This is not happening anymore. Let us go. Now, did Pharaoh say, sorry, man, you're right. 430 years is too much. Let me send you out with blessing. Let me No. Why? Because he's a tyrant. And tyrants love the status quo where they've got the power and you've got nothing. We don't want to disturb that. And Laban is not going to want to disturb this either. You can look at um, Elijah and Ahab as well. Um, Elijah is in a, in a pagan land where Baal worship is on the rise. And they still, by the way, enjoy more property rights than we do in our country. Uh, Ahab went to Naboth and he said, sell me your vineyard. And Naboth said, No. He tells the king, no, this is my ground from the Lord. This is part of my inheritance. He's in a pagan Israelite nation worshiping Baal. And he can he can tell the sovereign of the country. No, you can't take my land from me. You know, the story Ahab goes home. He's vexed and sullen and and Jezebel comes and says, why are you vexed and sullen? I will get this land for you. She accuses Naboth of blasphemy. And has him stoned to death with stones. She, once he's dead, she goes to, uh, to Ahab and she says, rise up and take possession. And he goes down to the vineyard that he wanted that was right next to his castle so that he could make a garden. It was Naboth's vineyard. And who does he meet there but Elijah the prophet. And think about this. Ahab, the, the wicked king, looks on Elijah, God's faithful prophet, and he says... What do you want, you troubler of Israel? And he accuses Elijah of being the troubler. Elijah says, I haven't troubled Israel. You have. Okay. But in both situations, you've got all like longstanding tyranny. And a faithful man stands up and says, we're not doing this anymore. Things are going to change. We're not cooperating. We're not cooperating anymore. So Jacob comes and he stands. And you would expect if Laban was any sort of decent chap, he would say, So uh, Jacob reminds him, you know, you know what service I have uh, that I have given you. But Laban said to him, uh, he he doesn't say, you know what? You're right. Son-in-law, let let me let you go and let me bless you. You've been you've been a great uh, you've been a great man for us. Instead, Laban's going to play a game and he's going to try and trick Jacob yet again. Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight. He says something very interesting that if we all knew Hebrew, uh, it would be like a flagpole being raised, calling our attention to something earlier in the book of Genesis. He says, I have found if I have found favor in your sight, 
I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. By the way, do you need to look at tarot cards to know that Laban has been blessed because of Jacob? Of course not. You don't need any help knowing that. But Laban says, look, I've learned, and he says something very important. I've learned by divination. The Hebrew word there is nahosh, okay, which doesn't maybe mean anything to you, but it should if you were a Hebrew speaker, because the first time we come across nahosh means divination, like practicing augury, cutting something open and looking at the liver. Nahosh also means the serpent. Nahosh also means bronze. Okay, so the first time we come across the word nahosh is in Genesis 3. Man, woman are in the garden, but here comes the Nahosh. Here comes the serpent, and he deceives Eve. And because, ever since that moment, God says, I'm going to put war between you and between the woman, between your seed and between her seed. And that's the entire scope of the rest of the Bible is this war between the seed of the Nahosh and the seed of the woman. And so Laban, for all of us to see, raises this flag that what's going on here is the age-old war between the seed of the woman, who in this context is Jacob, and the seed of the serpent, which is Laban. And so the question is, again, lex talionis, eye for an eye. What did the serpent do to our mother Eve? He deceived her and led her into rebellion. Ever since then, what has the seed of the woman done to the seed of the serpent? The answer is they've deceived, they've practiced deception to their enemies. And so Laban is trying to deceive Jacob and he's going to get just comeuppance. He says, watch this. I know by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Feel free to laugh at that. Then he says in verse 28, name your wages and I will give it. Now, if you haven't been tracking with the story, you may say, man, Laban is really kind here. Just name your, name your, what, what boss says that? What, what are your ways? Just name it and I'll pay it. But we know that Laban has said this once before, has he not? What do you want? Name your wage. And he says, well, I'll work seven years for Rachel. He took that seven years and then he gave a different daughter. This is not Laban being generous. This is Laban being a schemer. You, you dads, think about this. You've got a man who comes uh, who's destitute, but he's a good dude and you know that. And he comes to you and he wants to marry a daughter. And so he works faithfully for you. And he takes your operations from very small to very wealthy. He's, he has transformed your net worth. And now he says, hey, let me go and let me take my wife and let me take your grandchildren. And let me go build up my house where God has said I'm supposed to root down. Do you need motivation to bless that man? You have been wonderfully blessed by him. Instead of Laban saying, hey, man. Yes, you can go, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do for you. He says, name wage. I want you to stay and work for me. And so what would it cost me? It's dollars and cents. And he's not intending to pay it either. Verse 29, Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. That is, Aaron pointed this out, this is the, the scent or the echo of Christ for us in the Old Testament. Do you know why the Lord has blessed you? 
He blesses you everywhere Christ turns. We are blessed in Christ. And Laban, just like the Egyptians, will be blessed because of Joseph. And Potiphar's house will be blessed because of Joseph. Just like that, Laban has been blessed everywhere Jacob turns. The Lord has blessed him. And so he says, the Lord blessed you wherever I, wherever I turned. I love that turn of phrase. But now the question is, when shall I provide for my own household also? Okay, so he's, he's charging, laying a charge of injustice against Laban. And Laban said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, no, 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 no. We're not talking gift. We're talking wage. You shall not give me anything. Feel free to see Abraham talking to the king of Sodom. King of Sodom says what? Take whatever you want. Just give me the people. Abraham says, I will not take anything from you. Jacob says the same thing to Laban. I'm not going to take a dime. We're get, I'm going to earn everything I get. And so he says, if you will do this for me. And he asks for a piece of the company. You give me a small percent of the operations here. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all of your flock. Now watch the, watch the language. Let me pass through all of your flock today. Removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So all commentators agree he's asking for, a, for the, the, the least common of the livestock. Whatever is very rare, that will be my wage. The vast majority will remain yours. Those things will be my wage. And that's, he's wanting something that will be obvious to the observer because he knows Laban is a trickster. And so let's, you, we need to be able to walk to a pasture and just look out and tell there's nothing that shouldn't be here. That's here. And so he says, so will my honesty answer for me later when you come and look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted as stolen. And Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. Now listen to this. If Jacob says, you come and look at my herd and anything that's not spotted or speckled or striped, anything that's solid color... It's going to be counted stolen. What happens when Jacob goes to look at Laban's flock and sees a bunch of striped and spotted lambs? What are those counted as? Stolen, right? This is my wage. It'll be with me. If it goes with you, it'll be counted as stolen. And Laban says, absolutely. Okay, so a couple of things just in, uh, on this section to think on. God sees any time your labor goes unjustly rewarded. Okay, especially when we are doing life like Jacob under tyranny that steals much of every single dollar and makes new endeavors exquisitely hard to begin. The Lord, listen to me, the Lord is still your shepherd. You still will not be in want, even when you have to pass through the valley of the shadow of death. We were talking to the girls about this and um, the, we, we, I, I said, hey, can you sing this song with me? Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, he, uh, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Uh, what's next? He leadeth me uh, in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Something like that. And then he says, we started to sing. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I said, wait. I thought the Lord was our shepherd. I thought he leads us 
beside the still waters and, and he makes us lie down in green pastures. If that's true, what in the cotton pick are we doing in the valley of the shadow of death? How can we be here if he is our shepherd who leads us? And Lila said it really well. She said, if he is our shepherd and he is, and we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, what must we conclude? That the greener pastures are on the other side. He's leading us from point A to point B. And yes, we may pass through the dry valleys, but he's bringing us to where we need to be. God still sees everything. He is still your shepherd. You will still not be in want, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, on your way to green pastures and still waters. Second thing that's worth noting here, and it's just like a general principle that was given to me by much wiser men. Kingdoms are built by men with mouths to feed. Okay? Kingdoms are built by men with mouths to feed. As long as Jacob is staying at home and playing video games and eating Cheetos, he doesn't feel the need to like build up his house because bills are paid, everything is good. But when you get married and you start to have babies, you feel that responsibility and that sense of urgency that I have to be able to provide for my own people. So, gentlemen, if you're not already, get married and have some mouths to feed. It's really good for you. Okay, so Jacob takes a stand and then we're going to see the cheater cheat. In verse 35 and 36, you can write cheat in the, in the margin. So... They agree, on the, they agree on the pay. It's going to be these, this should be my wages. Everything that's speckled, spotted, black lambs uh, uh, among the goats, all, all of those things. That's my wage. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. And then in verse 35, but that day, remember Jacob said, today I'll go through and I'll get all of these. Those will be my wages. Laban said, yeah, that sounds great. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black. And he put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. A couple things you need to know. Number one, this is robbery. That's what Laban does to Jacob. He just robs him blind. This is your, and he's, he knows something about genetics, right? And so he's saying, look, if I take all of the things that are supposed to be Jacob's, uh, they're supposed to throw that color, everything that throws that color belongs to Jacob. I'm just going to take all those things away, give them to my sons and get them a few days away so that Jacob can't see. And then Jacob is going to have nothing. So he takes everything that he's supposed to give to Jacob trying to cut off Jacob's future. So the first thing you need to see is just, that's what this is called, it's just robbery. The second thing that you need to see is that Laban is a new Isaac. What did Isaac intend to inflict on Jacob? Absolute cutting out of the covenant. Everything was gonna go to Esau. I'm not gonna leave Jacob with anything. Laban is doing the same thing again to Jacob. Jacob is, in this text, he is the righteous man that falls seven times and still rises because the Lord is with him. Everybody is trying to rip Jacob off and God is still with him, okay? Much has already been said about the difference between Rebekah and Jacob's deception of Isaac and Laban's deception of Jacob. 
So just a, a quick reminder, this is not Jacob's just comeuppance. A lot of people will teach it this way and just say, yeah, the cheater's getting cheated. Jacob cheated his dad, and now Laban is cheating Jacob again, and it's all equal. That's not what's going on. Rather, what we're seeing is an evil tyrant returning evil for good. Okay? So you've got this verbal agreement where Laban's words sound very kind and very generous, but his heart and his actions reveal otherwise. Okay? Now, so a couple of things that are really helpful here. The first is that the three-day cheat buffer that Laban put in there, I'm going to take Jacob's stuff and I'm going to move it three days away so that he won't know that I've robbed him blind. So it's a sin against Jacob. But that three-day buffer was all the space that Jacob needed to get away from Laban. It works to Jacob's favor, not to Laban's favor. And we'll see that not this week, but next week. But this is always the way it is. Haman's gallows end up exposing his treachery right at the right moment and fitting him perfectly to be hung upon. Every weapon that is fashioned against the people of God, not only does it not prosper against us, it turns itself against God's enemies and our enemies. Okay? Um, This also, just this idea of, of Laban cheating Jacob, which Jacob was well aware of, it helps us to understand what Jacob does in the, next, uh, in the next section, 37 through 43, because a lot of people will read this and say, Jacob was intending to rob Laban. It's not, it's not what's going on. Jacob is lex talionis. He's giving, uh, he's giving Laban what Laban deserves, okay? So in verse 37 through 43, you're gonna see Jacob cheat the cheater. So what should Christians and what should God's people do when they are under evil tyranny that robs us at every point. What should we do? You won't see anything in here about Jacob drawing swords. That's not, that's not what he does. We, we can tell by the context that Jacob has been praying. This is how I take in, in verse 37 when it says, Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and, plant tr- uh, and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. And he set the sticks uh, that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since, uh, since they bred when they came to the drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped and speckled and spotted. So he's doing this so that they'll, uh, the flocks will throw his wages, like the, the type of, um, of livestock that he needs. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flock towards the stripes and all the uh, black of the, of the flock of Laban. And he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. And whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay his sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger would be Jacob's. Thus, the man increased greatly. He had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. Okay? So Jacob is going to cheat the cheater. So how do we, how, big picture, how is Jacob responding to tyranny? First of all, he's praying. A lot of people, again, will jump in here and say, this whole weird weirdness with the sticks and the poplars and like the breeding They say that's ancient science or it's superstition and and it didn't work. I take a very different idea. I have no idea what this means. Okay. I don't know if this is, you know, you can replicate this. I wouldn't, I I wouldn't think so. 
But I believe, and, and the next, next um, in chapter 31, we're going to see that Jacob has been praying this entire time. I believe this is something that the Lord revealed to Jacob of how he can build up his own wealth. I'm going to bless you. And so I want you to do this. I want you to trust me and I want you to do this. And I think Jacob did it and I think it worked. And I think that's the point of the text. So when, when we are experiencing tyranny that is unjust, the first thing that we do is we talk to God about it. We pray. Lord, how do I operate in this scenario that's unfair and that, I, that I, I'm having a hard time even providing for my own family? How do I do that? You pray and you ask the Lord to work. Secondly, Jacob speaks truth to power. He goes and stands in front of Laban and he says, that's enough. We're not doing this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, I had a really fun uh, way, to, way to do this. In the, um, they, they raise our property taxes just astronomically high. And so it was really fun to go sit down with them and just say, I I would like to see what you guys are looking at. And they were ashamed because they hadn't looked at our property at all. They hadn't even gone there. And the comps that they had put, we're talking like million dollar homes, just ridiculous. And I'm like, you guys are out of your mind. And they said, yeah, you're right. And they, uh, they backed off. But the point is like, you speak truth to power. You pray like crazy. You speak truth to power. You say, you can't do this. It's unjust. You can't do this. Then he sowed seeds of subversion. Seeds of, su- seeds of subversion. What do I mean by that? Well, one, he gets married and he has babies. And so he's got competing loyalties. What our country, what any tyrant does not want is for you to have loves that are bigger than the state. For, for a good godly man to say, my wife means more to me than the state of Texas. This is my first loyalty. My church means more to me. Than my country. Yes, I'm glad to be an American. Yes, I'm glad to be a Texan. But I am first and foremost a follower of Christ. And he's given me a family to feed and and children and and, and a church to be a part of. And so those Jacob does that here with Laban. And he works without Laban knowing. He works to build up his own wealth, his own power. And I think there's a model for us here that's biblical all across, um, all across the scriptures. So he sows seeds of subversion. He doesn't take to the field. He just plants things that when they grow, they will mean the toppling of the tyrant. And then the, the last thing he's going to do, or the second to last thing, he's going to flee. Like you, you run away if necessary. If you have to run, Jacob's going to do this. God's going to say, get out of here because he's not going to let you keep your flocks. He changes his wage. Ten times. And so he says, you've got you've to run and I'm going to bless you. So godly men, uh, godly men and women across history, they've prayed. They've spoken truth to power. They've sowed seeds of subversion through the church and the family. And then they run if necessary. And then they fight a, def- fight a defensive war if they must. So not an offensive. We're going to go attack them. But we will defend our own. Jacob doesn't have to do that. God stops that from happening. But he does all the other things. So, again... As we think about these things, when people are taking their best shot at you, it does not do to pretend that you're not in a struggle. Okay? It doesn't do to pretend that you're just not in a fight. I'm sure they don't mean ill. Jesus told us to turn the other cheek, and so many Christians have concluded that what that is is a strategy for doormatism. It's not. Did Jesus command you to turn the other cheek if somebody strikes you? Yes, he did. If somebody mandates you to walk with a mile, you, you go too. 
You don't, you don't resist that, but you need to understand that that is a strategy for victory that your enemy will not see coming. That's how we win. Do you want to know how to beat Laban? You tell him he's wrong to his face. You pasture his flock strategically and you trust the Lord to build you up. Do you want to know how to defeat the Pharisees? You disregard their threats. You give them your back to be beaten. You keep preaching. You die and you rise. You know how to defeat the Romans. You have babies. You baptize them. You preach and disciple and church plant. And you die well in the Colosseum. And within a generation, Rome will be yours. This is how we win. You want to know how to beat radical secularism on the left and on the right? You love Christ. You go to church. You get married, make babies, baptize them. You raise them in the covenant. And you don't let the state educate them. You work hard to provide for them. These are the means that God has given us. Okay, So you... you Speak truth to power. You engage in covenant faithfulness, trusting that these are the things that God is blessing so that we can see dominion. Um, last, I'm going to throw some, uh, some smoke here in case anybody who was there with us is not going to know who I'm talking about. They don't go to our church, um, as you'll see shortly. But Gracie and I were together recently, and we're sitting at a table. And across from us is, uh, is a lesbian, very nice Lady and, and we were talking to her, trying to engage with her and get her story. And uh, she was there. Uh, she was there by herself. Um, and it was at a wedding. And so uh, people got up to give speeches. Right? They're they're going to do all the speeches. And it was one of those things where you're in a room where somebody grabs a microphone and they call your attention, like you can't understand a word anyway. So we're far away and it's like there, there's you, you can't hear anything that's being said. There's no you know, real reason. You just kind of face that way, smile and nod. So everybody's looking this way, not hearing a word. And there are there's a little boy who's all suited up. He was in the wedding. And there's a little girl who also had a beautiful dress, just little little bitty kids. And there's like these two steps. This is way higher than what they were jumping off of. But they were climbing up. And while the speeches that you cannot hear were going on. They were jumping off down onto the wood floor. And it was cool. It was like something that should be done. Any of our young men, any of our young ladies would be doing the same thing. They don't want to give their attention to a speech that they can't hear or understand anyway. And so they're just jumping. And everybody's looking this way. Everybody's fine. And this lady, she's, she's got her back to the kids. And then she turns and looks at these kids. Just looks daggers at them. And she goes, Then she turns to the lady next to her and said, I hate kids. I can't stand them. Gracie and I are like, oh, my word. And of course, Gracie wanted to claw her eyes out, uh, which would have been fun to watch. She would have won that fight. Um, now, all sorts of ways to respond to that. One is just the pity for, for, that, for that person. She's been deceived, I think, by, by our enemy, the devil. And so she's on a track that's going to lead her to loneliness and fruitlessness and childlessness, which one day I, be, I, I believe she's going to regret. So there's tons of pity and you can pray for her. And Gracie tried to pray with, uh, without a, a bitter and uh, an aggressive heart. But there's something in there that ought to give you and me hope because that's what we're up against in this culture. It's barren, self-sterilizing child hatred. They'll murder them in the womb. 
or they'll try and coach them up to be like them in the schools. But listen, that means that if Christians would just trust the things that God has given us, he's given us families, he's given us the church, he's given us discipleship. If we'll just love those things, love your wife, love your kids, love to work hard, trust the Lord in one generation, we will vastly outnumber them. And so we don't have to fight anybody. We don't have to take over anything. We just need to be faithful and watch what happens. And the Lord will give us the victory. All right? Lex talionis. Now, Jesus Christ is both Christus exemplar and Christus victor. He is our example and he is our victory. And he is our example of how we get victory. How did Christ defeat Satan? Well, he prayed and he obeyed his father and he spoke truth to power and he sowed seeds of subversion called baptized followers who were endeavoring to obey all that he had commanded them and to take that message into all nations. He hid whenever it was necessary. He reproduced himself into followers. And then he laid down his life when the time was right. This is how he overcame. And this is how we overcome. So he's our victory and he's our example of how victory comes. Through these things, Christ has brought us salvation. And through these things, Christ has brought us, listen to me, marching orders. This is how we have a right standing with God. And this is how we stand rightly in the world. This table of remembrance and participation is our great preparation for faithful living. For it shows just how victorious defeat can be. I'm going to read that sentence to you again. This table of remembrance and participation is our great preparation for faithful living because it shows us just how victorious losing can be. Defeat is victorious when you rise from the dead. It's awesome. It shows us just how secure the will and the word of our heavenly father is. This table shows us again and again that when all visible circumstances would rob us of hope, our hope will rise up in the morning with the sun. Fear not, brothers and sisters. We win the war that Christ has sent us into because he was dead and now he has risen. We win because he has already won. So take heart and come to the table. You, listen to me, will not be despised by your father Isaac or robbed by your father-in-law Laban at this table. It will not happen to you here. Here you will meet with a good father. Here at this table, the Lord of all glory will be to you a good father. He will receive you. He will love you. He will provide for you. He will enrich you in every way that matters. He will give you peace and he will give you victory. So you come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we do ask that you at this table where we participate in your work, we participate in your body, your blood, we participate in your church body. Um, when we eat and drink in faith, Lord, we believe that you are with us here. And so we ask you, Lord, to do a work in us. Lord, we pray for those despairing 
in their sin. We pray for those dominated by tyranny, whether spiritual tyranny or physical tyranny. God, we pray for um, we pray for all of those who resonate with Jacob, who's been cheated and um, and double crossed time and again. And so, God, we would we would come to the table where there's no funny business, where you meet with us as Father, and not Father that wants to disinherit, but Father that wants to do good everywhere that Christ turns to do good to us. And so we come to you in the name of Christ, Father, in the power of your Holy Spirit, and we ask you to meet with us at this table. We ask you to be our good and heavenly Father. We ask you to reveal your heart to us that these things were done while we were yet sinners and give us the hope to know that you will keep your word to us in your son. Would you, would you come? Would you meet with us? Would you give us hope? Would you give us joy? Would you give us victory? Would you, would you give us eyes to see what's going on here with husbands and wives and children and a church, Lord, that you are winning right now? Would you do that? Would you meet with us here? In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.